Amen. Back in the, uh, the 90s, when uh, you guys were learning some of you to walk, um, no, you guys weren't even here, were you? Anybody in the room born in the 90s? Okay, some of you, some of y'all, some of y'all are driving with me. Okay, back in the 90s, there was a band called Salt and Peppa, and that's important because it's not Pepper, it's Peppa. And uh, those of y'all familiar with them are wondering where in the world is this going because I did not expect it to start this way. They had a song that grew, when it came on the radio, and I, I, when I grew up, I went to a private Christian school, so, you know, I was one of those kids. And so when it came on the radio, it was like one of those, oh man, turn the radio off as, as quick as you can, switch the, the station, because the song was called Let's Talk About Sex. And I almost titled this message, Let's Talk About Sex, but I, I realized for most of you, you wouldn't have been tracking because you didn't grow up listening to Salt and Peppa. And I didn't really either, other than Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls, which is a different song, but... Let's talk about sex. The, the chorus was not super creative. It, it said, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. In the opening verse, they say, let's talk about sex for now to the people at home or in the crowd. It keeps coming up anyhow. Don't be coy, avoid or make void the topic because that ain't going to stop it. Now we talk about sex on the radio and the video shows. Many people will know anything goes. Let's tell it how it is, how it could be, how it was, and of course, how it should be. Those who think it's dirty have a choice. Pick up the needle, press pause, or turn off the radio. Will that stop us, Pep? I doubt it. Let's talk about sex. We're here tonight to talk about sex. And we're talking about sex because the Bible talks about sex. And as Salt and Peppa said, those who think it's dirty have a choice to basically avoid it or not, but we're going to keep going. Well, when we come to God's word and we come to chapters that talk about sex, we as, as Christians can't avoid it. We've got to figure out, okay, what are we supposed to do with this? And here's the thing, y'all, I want to do something tonight, and, and, and I kind of want to take the subject back from the world because it's not the world's to begin with. You see, we've been talking about sex for some 6,000 years plus of human history, and what we're reading tonight was written about 3,000 years ago, give or take. And Solomon was talking about sex to his kids. And here we are, and we're still talking about sex. And we live in one of the most hypersexualized cultures that has ever existed on the face of the planet. But here's the thing. Sex does not belong to the world. Sex belongs to God. God created it. God designed it. And God gave it to us to be enjoyed according to his plan and purpose. And that's what I want us to see in Proverbs chapter 5, half of chapter 6, and chapter 7. And if you're wondering, why are we tackling two and a half chapters tonight? It's because I didn't want to have to preach to you guys about sex tonight. And then next week, take a break and preach the first half of chapter 6. And then preach again about sex the, the next week. And then again about sex the week after. So we're just going to tonight's going to be all about sex. We're talking about sex. And if you're a visitor, you pick the right night to show up. Let me just tell you. And listen, if some of y'all have not had the talk yet and you want to bail uh, and, uh, and call mom and dad and ask them, uh, maybe this is the right time to do that. No, don't bail. Stick around. Proverbs chapter 5 uh, introduces the forbidden woman as she is referred to in Proverbs chapter 5 verse 3. Last week, Lewis preached and did a great job and, and talked about the call of the woman wisdom. And what Solomon did there is he personified wisdom as a woman calling and beckoning uh, to people to listen to her and to follow her, right? Well, well now there's another wisdom, a woman on the scene, and it's, it's the other woman. And, and this is not wisdom. 
But it's the woman, the adulteress, the forbidden woman, the evil woman. And lest we think that, okay, well, how bad could she really be? Let's just talk a little bit about how she's described just here in Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, and Proverbs 7. In verse 5 of Proverbs chapter 5, it says, her feet go down to death. Well, that's, uh, that's not too appealing there. Uh, she hunts down a precious life, Proverbs 6, 26. In Proverbs 7, 11, she is loud and wayward. Wayward meaning she is, uh, she's rebellious. She does not keep to the, the path that God wants for us. She's loud. She is wayward. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 12, she lies in wait as a predator. And that's exactly what sexual immorality is. It, it is a predatory sin. Proverbs 7:21 says, With her smooth talk or seductive speech, she persuades. So she is a, a seducer of people who fall into her trap. Proverbs 7:21 again, with smooth talk, she compels. So if you listen too long, it's gonna, you're going to feel compelled to give in to her ways. Proverbs 7:26 says, "Many a victim she, the adulteress, has laid low." Proverbs 7:26, "All her slain are like a mighty throng." You took everybody that's fallen prey to sexual immorality, you would have a mighty crowd, a mighty mass of people. And Proverbs 7.27 says, her house is the way to the grave, to Sheol. Before you turn me off for tonight and say, well, I, I don't have to worry about this because I'm not, <coughs> excuse me, I'm not married, I'm not sleeping with somebody who is, so adultery is not really a problem for me. I want us to frame what we're talking about tonight the way that Jesus defined adultery, if we can, from Matthew's gospel in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said there, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. You guys see the rest of the verse on the screen. But, but that first part there, one of the Ten Commandments, right? The, the Pharisees and those listening to Jesus at the time, and, and most of us in the room uh, would say, oh, okay, check, right? Just like the do, do not commit murder command, okay, check. And so you might be thinking, well, I'm good because, and I don't need to worry about sexual sin because the Bible's talking about the adulteress and I'm not committing adultery. But look at the rest of the verse when Jesus says, but I, I, I tell you this, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent or women, anyone who looks at a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with that person in their heart. Okay. So we're not talking about the physical act of adultery as much as we're talking about the heart issue that leads to it. Is the physical act of adultery a problem? Yes. Was it part of what Solomon was addressing? Yes. But does this broaden itself to, to cover the broad scope of sexual immorality for us in general? Absolutely it does. We're talking about the problem, the issue of lust. And like I said earlier tonight, sexual sin is one of the most prevalent sins in our world. We are in a, such a hyper-sexualized culture in society. We've got issues with modesty, right? We've got issues of, of, of homosexuality, where God's design for sex has been twisted and perverted. We've got issues with transgenderism, where God's design for the way that a, a biological matchup between a male and a female should work has now been taken, and that's chucked out the window because now men are not men and women are not women, and we've, we're creating these, these categories in between. It's under attack. We've got pornography on top of that, which is more rampant now than it ever has been because it's more accessible now with the advent of the phones and devices and social media and everything else than it ever has been before. Then we've got the television shows. If you jump on Netflix or 
HBO Max or you go on Amazon Prime or whatever, it's rare to find a show that's being released anymore that's not rated TVMA because of nudity. You've got movies coming out where sex is, is common and promoted and, and pushed in our face. And y'all, beyond that, I mean, we live in Southern California. You've got the beach, and, and the trend in swimsuits is not that it's covering more. We live in a hyper-sexualized culture. And for you as Christian young men and women, the world is a veritable minefield of sexual immorality for you. And we need to know what God wants from us. But here's the thing. I don't want us tonight to sit here and just bemoan the fact that you guys don't get to have sex because you're not married yet. I don't want you to walk out of here going, oh man, that was just all about how hypersexualized the world is, is and how bad it is for me to, to think about sex right now. That is the opposite of what I want you to think. I want you to think and understand, like I said at the outset, that sex is designed and given by God. It's a good thing for us. And it's a desirable thing for us. And here's the thing, y'all. God doesn't want you to think, well, sex is off limits to me and it's a bad thing. No, sex is not off limits. It's, it's within the design and plan that God has for it. It can be enjoyed and it's a good thing for us. And we're about to see that in chapter five. Yeah, there's the warning. Yeah, there's the concern. Yeah, there's, there's the adulterous woman that we need to avoid. But in this first chapter, in chapter five, he's gonna say, but you know what? There's a design that God has for it that's good that we should be pursuing. Our first point tonight is this. Protect the God given joys of sex. Protect it. And, and that's why he's warning about the adulteress because he wants his son to experience the goodness of sex within the design that God has for it, which is the, the, the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. So as you all are fighting against sexual purity right now, you are not just fighting against sexual purity for yourself. You're fighting against sexual purity for the future spouse, sexual impurity. You're not fighting against sexual purity. Don't check that. Erase. You're fighting against impurity for the good of your future spouse and your future marriage as well because you want it to be everything that God has designed it and wants it to be also. Solomon's warning his son at the beginning. He says, the, the, verse 3 of chapter 5, the lips of a forbidden woman, they drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. Y'all, that's why we're still talking about sex 3,000 years later. Because the, the, the allure of lust and sexual immorality and, and the, the temptation there is powerful. And that's what Solomon's acknowledging here. He's saying, look, she, initially it looks sweet. They drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. It's appealing. It's tempting. It's desirable. It's deceptive. And she's loud about it too, Proverbs chapter 7. We can all agree with that. Again, as I just listed off all the ways we see the, 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 the temptation and lust being appealed to in our culture and our society. Proverbs 7, 11 through 12 says, she is loud and wayward. I mean, sometimes I wish we could just look at the world and its overpromotion of sex and say, will you just shut up? She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, now at every corner she lies in wait, right? Solomon's acknowledging it's prevalent. It's everywhere we look and even more so in our society today. But that's why, y'all, it's so important for us to remember the outcome of sexual immorality, those things that I was talking about that I listed off that were up on the slide earlier, how much it references the fact that she leads to death, that the adulteress, her path leads to the grave, leads to Sheol, those who go to her never come back from her. It's a danger. Even back in chapter two, when Solomon first talked about the forbidden woman, the adulteress, he said, for her house sinks down to death. Her paths to the departed and none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. It's Proverbs 2, 18 through 19. 
And so even though it's everywhere, and it, 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 at first her, her speech is appealing, it's seductive, it's smoother than, than, than oil, it, looks, it sounds good, it's, it's sweeter than honey. We have to remember the true character of sexual sin is, is deadly. And maybe you're out there tonight and you're going, really, deadly? Deadly. Death. De- if, if I'm engaged in, in internet pornography, it's, is that deadly? Is that, I mean, really, is it hurting anyone? If, if I've gone too far with my boyfriend or girlfriend, is it hurting anyone? If I'm engaged and I know I'm going to get married to this person, we have sex before we get married, is, is, is that really hurting anyone? Is sexual immorality really deadly? Well, on the one hand, physically, yes, it can be. If you are overly promiscuous, if, if you sleep around, there are diseases that you can contract that can kill you. But I think even more so, and I think part of what Solomon was driving at here under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, sex is deadly spiritually. Sexual immorality, that is. Listen to these verses from the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. So Paul's writing here, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The first one he lists, sexual immorality and impurity. Both of those have to do with what we're talking about tonight. He says, these things, those who do these things, verse 21, including sexual immorality and impurity, will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's talking about there is those who are defined by these things. If that's a sin that you're not willing to leave off to give yourself over to Jesus, then that can be a a foothold that the enemy has on you that prevents you from truly coming full circle to Christ. That's frightening. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Paul says something similar there. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, or, nor, he says later, the adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. And so there you have Paul again saying, look, this is a big deal. And that if it holds your heart, and if it's an idol in your heart, and if it's holding you back from full surrender to Christ, that it can be eternally damning to us. Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, Revelation 21.8, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so sexual sin is serious. Its consequences are grave and serious. In fact, back in chapter 5, Solomon gives some of the the real-time consequences as well. Verse 9, look down there. He says this, Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Meaning your honor, your reputation is tattered because of sexual immorality. Even in the world's eyes, a serial adulterer, right? Not held in high regard. We don't go around flaunting our sexual sin. Why? Because there's a a stigma about it. There's shame about it. Sexual sin can lead to our giving up of our honor, our reputation. Your years to the merciless. Again, the the physical danger there. Verse 10, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. All the, the hard work that you put in for whatever it may be, whether it's financial or whether it's work that you're putting into your reputation or whether it's work that you're putting into your family, and then you give it all away to, to sexual sin, you've given it to somebody else to, to have, and it's no longer yours. Verse 11, at the end of your life, you groan. There's this regret. 
when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline. My heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. All this to say, y'all, and this is what Solomon's doing. He's painting the picture. Sexual sin is, is dangerous. It's dangerous to us. It can have devastating consequences to us. But you may be saying, wow, Pastor PJ, this sounds like the message you didn't want to preach. But, okay, here's where it turns. Sex is a gift from God. Remember, sex does not belong to the world. It belongs to God. It's a gift from God, and all that was associated with it was created by God for the enjoyment of his creation. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says this, For this reason, right, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. Guess what the most demonstrable evidence of one flesh is between two human beings? Sex. Okay? And that's part of the reason God created it is because it evidences what happens in a marriage. That the two become one. That they are brought together. That they are joined together. That God has created it that way to be the the culmination of the, the marital union together. And it's to be enjoyed. It's the greatest expression of that relationship. It's good. In fact, look back in our passage. Look at verse 15. Because Solomon doesn't think that sex is is bad and evil and wrong. Look at verse 15. He says this, drink water from your own cistern. He's he's talking euphemistically, metaphorically here. Speaking about sex. He's, He's saying, hey, stay at home. Stay where you belong. Have sex in in the the way that God designed it with the one that he's provided for you. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth as a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always with her love. Look at the language there, y'all. And some of y'all are going, whoa, I didn't know the Bible even said those words. Like I said, sex is not the world's possession. It's God's possession. And he designed the human body the way that he designed the human body in in order to make it work in a way that, that brings pleasure to the two people that are engaging in the sexual act. He's not anti-sex. He just wants sex to be within the confined parameters that he has defined, which is the the, the relationship of a husband and a wife, marriage. But it is enjoyable that being intoxicated with her love, right? I mean, that is not this restrained, hoity-toity, buttoned up, like, yeah, there's, there's enjoyment and freedom there within that relationship. Maybe you're going, okay, but is it there in the New Testament? Yes, it's there in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a a woman. He says this, but because of the temptation, because you remember Paul has said, look, Paul said, personally, I think it's good to be single. He says, "I, I wish that you all were as I am, meaning single. Because he's free to serve the Lord with everything he has. But he understands that not everybody is going to be there. He understands that not everybody has the gift of singleness. He understands that there is this sexual drive that God gives people that is meant to be satisfied and fulfilled within marriage. So he says this in verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, which is what we're talking about, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. 
The husband should give to the wife his, her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. That's the ESV's clean way of saying this. You guys, as married couples, should be having sex with each other. That's what he's saying here. A healthy marriage is a marriage that has sex as a regular part of it. Okay? So as y'all are sitting out there going, I, I don't know what sex is going to be like in my marriage. Listen, it should be a regular routine in your marriage. It's, it's part of God's design, part of God's plan. And yes, there are, there are situations that arise and there are situations that pop up where sometimes it's not always possible for physical issues and everything else. But, but by and large, it is supposed to have, be a regular occurrence in marriage. And that's what Paul is saying here. That it's a good thing and it should be happening within a marriage. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And hold on, ladies, before you get all up in arms. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Verse 5, do not deprive one another. Again, Paul, under the, the Holy Spirit is telling y'all, when you get married, have a lot of sex. Okay? That's what he's saying here. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, so do you see, I just want you to understand, what's the point of all this? God is not anti-sex, okay? He's not. And sometimes in the church, that, that's kind of the, the rap because it's like, uh, I was when I was growing up when that song, Let's Talk About Sex Baby, comes on and I, I switched the channel really fast so that my parents didn't know that, that that music existed out there, right? God designed sex and it's a good thing. And he gave us marriage within that relationship where sex is to be enjoyed. And it is a good, good, good thing. That's why in Hebrews 13, 4, it says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Part of the way we keep the marriage bed undefiled is by using the marriage bed. If you pick up what I'm putting down. It's not off limits for Christians, but it's off limits outside of God's plan for it, right? And that's why we got to guard against sexual immorality. That's why we've got to battle against sexual immorality. Because if we think that we're kind of getting away, look down at verse 20 of chapter 5. Why should you be intoxicated? Remember, he's just said, be intoxicated with your wife. And then he says, why should you be intoxicated with a forbidden woman in the embrace of the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he, God, ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. He's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Sexual sin is dangerous, but here's what I want you to see, y'all, in, in Proverbs chapter 5. Part of our battle against sexual temptation and against sexual sin is a fight to protect the God-given joys of sex. That God has a plan for it. It's a good plan, and we can look forward to it, and we can anticipate it, and we can anticipate enjoying it. Chapter 6, then Solomon takes a break, I think probably to, to let his son not be squirming as much anymore. And he goes for 19 verses on a different topic that we'll touch on next week. But then he comes back to sexual immorality in verse 20. And he comes back to, to sexual immorality in verse 20. And he's going to be talking about the deceitfulness of the adulteress. And the deceitfulness of sexual temptation. And before we get to the, the solution to that deceitfulness, which he starts out with, I want you to look down at verse 25. And he says this, starting in verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your hearts, the adulteress that is. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? 
Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold and he will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply gifts. So in this section, Solomon has identified at least three ways that sexual sin deceives us into not understanding the, the, the consequences, okay? The first way is this. It makes us forget the cost. It makes us forget the cost. Look at verses 25 and 26 again. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. He's saying, look, and, and yes, Solomon is talking about the physical act of, of adultery, sleeping with a married woman in this context, and he's warning his son against that, and we would do well to heed that warning. And that's, if, if someone says, is, is adultery forbidden in the Bible? Absolutely, 100%, no doubt about it. Yes, it is forbidden in the Bible, and passages like this are key on that. But this is true of, of all sexual sin. It hunts down a precious life. You were created by God to glorify him. And sexual sin derails you from that pursuit and distracts you from that pursuit and takes a precious life that God has created for his purposes and it pollutes it and it perverts it and it destroys it. And so sexual sin makes us forget the cost. That's the first way it deceives us. Second way it deceives us is this. It makes us feel invincible. It makes us feel invincible. Well, no one will ever know. My sin will never find me out. It's just me, after all. Now we're talking about maybe pornography and lust and masturbation and so forth and so on. Or maybe it's your dating relationship and you think that you're so covert that no one will ever know that the two of you are sleeping together and having sex together before marriage. Can I just submit Proverbs 5, verses 20 through 23 that I just read a moment ago? The, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he, God, ponders all of his paths. Or Psalm 139, surely the darkness will cover me. Well, darkness, David says, is as light to God. So we don't get away with anything. But sexual sin makes us think we can. And look in our passage in verses 27 through 29 where we see this. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Answer to that question is what? No! You carry a torch around next to your chest and your, your clothes, you're going to be on fire. Smokey the Bear is going to come out and just annihilate you with a fire extinguisher. Like, you got to stop, drop, and roll, right? Sexual sin is like walking around with fire thinking, it's okay, I'm not going to get burned. Or the next illustration, can a man walk across a bed of coals and his feet not get scorched? And I, I don't care about the things that you've seen in the circus. The answer to that question is, for most people, no. No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to burn you. Sexual sin is going to burn you, but we feel like we are invincible. Like, no one will ever find us out, and I'll never get caught, and this is never going to be a problem for me. So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. You think you're getting away with it. You're not going to get away with it. Whether it's, it's found out by someone realizing this and it being exposed or it's found out on that final day, if you're a, an unbeliever, the, the, the great white throne, and then this is part of the, the eternal punishment that you'll suffer. If you're a believer, man, that sexual sin, it, it will be found out and it's going to be found out there before the, the bema seat of Christ and, and there's going to be forfeited reward for that. It will be found out. 
And then third, the last way it, it deceives us is it distracts us from devastating consequences. Devastating consequences. And this is similar to the cost, although with the cost, I'm kind of meaning the here and now. The devastating consequences are the then and there. Look at verses 30 through 35. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he's caught, he's going to pay sevenfold and he's going to give all the goods of his house. In other words, there is retribution required for a sin. And in this case, he's saying, you know what? If the sin is stealing, he's going to have to repay to accommodate for what he stole to make up for that. But he goes on and he says, he who commits adultery lacks sins. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor. And his disgrace will not be wiped away. There's nothing that you can give. For jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse though you multiply your gifts. The idea here again is that the the jealous husband who finds out that you have committed adultery with his wife and there's nothing that's going to satisfy his rage. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Okay? Says this is the will of God. Your what? sanctification, your holiness. And then Paul goes on. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you learn how to possess, how to control his own body in discipline and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then he says, let no one defraud his brother or sister in this matter. Don't sin against each other when it comes to sexual purity. And then Paul says this, for the Lord is an avenger in all these things. So in Proverbs chapter 6, he's talking about a jealous husband. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God's on the scene, and this is a jealous God. And so it is devastating consequences. And sexual sin wants to cause us to forget that. When you are in the midst and the throes of temptation, you're not thinking about the bema seat. You're not thinking about the great white throne. And because you're not, the mission has been accomplished for sexual immorality. So how do we fight against that? How do we, what do we, what do we do with that? We keep up with our slides. What, what, what do we do with that? Well, if it's deception that we're fighting against, what is the cure for deceit? The, the cure for deceit is the opposite of deception, which is what? Truth. I'm glad nobody said conception because that's, that would have been bad in this context. Truth. Truth is the opposite. And where do we find truth? Kill temptation, point number two. Kill temptation with the truth. Kill temptation with the truth. And yes, I I mean that. Destroy it, abolish it, annihilate it with the truth. Where do we find the truth? Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. David says, how can a young man or woman keep his or her way pure? How can I do this? Man, and David's asking that because, man, there's, there's naked women bathing on the rooftops. We're in a, the middle of a situation where we got naked women on, on phones and tablets and devices and billboards and TV shows. I mean, it, it's everywhere. And David's saying, how in the world can I keep my way pure? He answers the question, thankfully, by keeping it according to your what? According to your word. By keeping it according to the truth of your word. That's how I can keep my way pure. And then he goes on in verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart in order that I might not sin against you. So when we talk about mission 66 and when we talk about scripture memory and when we talk about treasuring it up in your heart, it's not just because we want to give you burdens and busy work and things to do. It's because it's effective. 
It's because treasuring up the word in your heart makes you a more effective fighter and battler against the, the world and the enemy and the sin that's out there. So that the, the enemy comes at you and says, I've got lust, and you go, I've got first, that's four. And you're able to fight the way that Jesus fought when he was tempted in the wilderness. See, we've got to kill temptation with the truth. This is what he's talking about in the first part that I, I, I jumped past, verses 20 through 24. Look back in chapter 6. My son, keep your father's commandments. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Internalize them. Memorize them is what he's saying. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, these things, they're going to lead you. When you lie down, they are going to watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. The commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are a way of life. Now look at verse 24. To what? To preserve you. To protect you. From who? The, the evil woman. From smooth, the smooth tongue of the adulteress. It's, it's God's word that equips us to do the battle that we need to do. Because the truth of God's word exposes the deception of the enemy. You've heard Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. Look at verses 20 through 23 again that I just read. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is what? A lamp. And the teaching, a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. In other words, y'all, when, when we are in the word of God, and the more we are in the word of God, the more we will experience that confidence that we know what to do in the situations that face us. I'm not telling you temptation is going to go away. I'm telling you, you're going to be ready for it. You're going to be equipped for it. You're going to be armed for it and ready to do battle. And that's why sometimes, y'all, and, and look, I really pray and hope that, that this Mission 66 challenge has not been a burden to you because sometimes we look at God's word, we look at the Bible, and we think, oh, man. Yeah, that's that thing that God gave us to do while we're here before he calls us home to be with him. And it, it's just, it's like he handed me a backpack full of bricks. I got to carry around this, this Bible and I'm supposed to do something with it. Y'all, that couldn't be further from the truth of what God's word is. It's like this passage is talking about. It's, it's guiding you. It's leading you. It's protecting you. It's illuminating the path and the way for you. It's like in Ephesians chapter 6, what does Paul call it? He says there, it's the sword of the spirit. It's, it's the weapon that we have to do battle against the enemy. And y'all, we got to battle the enemy. John 8, Jesus is talking about Satan. And he calls him something. He calls him a name there, right? He says he's the father of what? The father of lies. That he speaks lies because that's who he is, is what Jesus says in John 8, And we know that to be true. We've seen that even from the outset, Genesis chapter 3. You're not going to die when you eat that fruit. God just doesn't want you to eat it because then you're going to be like him and he's threatened by you. So go for it, Eve. Lying, deceit. See, that's, that's Satan's number one weapon is to twist and pervert and deceive you from following God's word. So you know what your response is? Know God's word as well as you possibly can. Immerse yourself in the word of God. Know it, memorize it, study it, chew it, meditate it on it. It, live in it because it is that valuable to you. It is not a backpack full of bricks, y'all. It is the light. It is the lamp. It is the guide. It is the weapon that you have to do battle against the deceit of the enemy. And it certainly speaks to our 
encountering sexual immorality and our need to fight against the temptations that we encounter. Again, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 is another verse that, or a couple of verses that come to mind. All scripture is breathed out by God and is therefore profitable. It's helpful. It's not the backpack full of bricks. It is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction. Reproof being, hey, this is where you're out of line. Correction, hey, this is where you need to go. And for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Y'all, the, the Bible is such a precious gift from God. It is such a gift because he has not turned us out into this world and said, good luck. You know, he's given us the weapon that is stronger than the lies of the enemy. The truth of God is stronger than the lies of Satan. John 17, 17, sanctify them in, in the truth. Your word is truth. So you get, you, maybe you, you're out there and you're going, man, yeah, I, sexual temptation, sexual immorality has been something that I've struggled with, that I've been battling, that, that has, well, if I just want to be honest with you, maybe you're saying it's owned me. You have a resource in your possession. God's word to read it, to study it, to give yourself over to it. And that's why, y'all, there's a difference between reading the Word of God to check a box and to say, I've done it, and reading the Word of God like your spiritual well-being depended upon it, like your sanctification was going to be furthered through it, like your ability to make it through the day without falling prey to the deception of the enemy depended upon it. And can I just tell you, that's why some of your leaders have said, hey, let's not just do the Mission 66, but let's build in this accountability thing to it. I want to hear what your thoughts are as you read it. It's not because they don't trust that you're reading it. It's because they want to see you really dive in and engage it. It's not just about doing it, but it's about giving yourself to the scriptures, trusting the word of God. I've seen Jurassic World. I haven't seen the new one. Took a twist again. You weren't expecting Jurassic World to come at you, huh? But you know Chris Pratt, right? His character, I don't even remember the guy's name. But you know how he's got the, the, the velociraptors and he's doing this thing, right? And they don't eat him? Okay, if you think of sexual immorality as, as velociraptors, <laughs> you're welcome. And you're about to walk down a, a street because they've gotten loose here in Orange County and it's, there's velociraptors all over the place. And if you're sitting there going, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this alive. And if Chris Pratt walks up to you, he's like, dude, I got you. Let's go. I can do this. And they're going to stay away. <laughs> you're going to trust yourself to Chris Pratt to make it through there alive. Okay. It's a horrible illustration <laughs> because Chris Pratt is not the Bible. But I want you to think about that idea of you need God's word to make it through the day. You do. You need it. We need it. I need it to make it through the day. All right. Chapter 7 opens on a similar note. Keep my commandments, verse 2, and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on your hearts. Internalize it. Say to wisdom, you are my, my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Why? Again, verse 5, to keep you from the forbidden woman and from the adulteress with her smooth words. And so he's continuing that idea. But for the rest of chapter 7, really, he's going to give a case study. 
He's going to give an example of a young man who didn't do that and what happened to him. This is a young man who drifts too close to sexual temptation and the devastating consequences that follow as he falls prey to the traps of temptation. Point number three tonight is this. Keep far from the traps of temptation. Keep far from the traps of temptation. So we talked about, man, sex is good as God has designed it and fight for the joys of that, right? That's part of our motivation here towards sexual purity. The the second point is, you know what? Sex is deceptive, but God has given you his word to do battle against the lies of the enemy. So so use the word of God towards that end. And then this third point is is talking about, okay, and also to complement that, here's what you need to do. You need to to flee and, and avoid and run from temptation at every turn at every corner. Again, this illustration, pick up in verse 6. For at the window of my house, I've looked through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple and perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner. Whose corner? We'll look back up at the antecedent, verse 5. The forbidden woman, the adulteress. Passing near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight. Notice the progression. Then in the evening, and then at the time of night and darkness. And so he ventures close near, it says near her corner. And maybe initially it's, it's innocent enough because he's a fool lacking sense. And so he happens to walk by not knowing what's waiting, but then he sees what's there and he hears, as we'll find out, the, the beckon of the woman. And now he begins to not just pass near her corner, but notice the, the, the progression. Now he's taking the road to her house. And then not only that, but now he's going there and he initially goes there at twilight to see what it's like. And then he's going to go in the evening and then he's going to go in the, the pitch black darkness in the middle of the night. Some of your mamas grew up telling you nothing good happens after midnight, and this is why. Not really. Okay, if I'd preached that message again, I would have just cut that part out. Wouldn't have said that. Verse 10, and behold, the woman meets him. I told you earlier, sex is a predatory enemy. You're not stumbling into it, and sex is like, oh, I didn't realize you were here. Well, great to have you. No, sexual immorality is after you. What does Peter say? The, the, the devil is what? He is a roaring lion on the prowl seeking someone to devour, and he's using sexual sin as one of his most frequent traps to catch it. The woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. Okay, she's not dressed modestly. Modest is not hottest for her. She's wily. That's a weird word, wily. Wily of heart. The word wily, it's actually the word for guard. In other words, she's guarded in her heart. She's not going to reveal what her true intentions are because her true intentions are to take the life from this young man. She's wily. She's deceptive of heart. She's loud and wayward, like we've talked about, wayward being rebellious and stubborn. Her feet, which this is a lot of people think a euphemism for her, her, her lady parts, do not stay at home. She's not satisfied at home where her husband is the way that God designed it, but now she's in the street, now she's in the market, now she's at every corner, she lies in wait. Sexual sin is predatory. And if you drift too near the corner, it's there waiting for you. Look at verse 13. She seizes him, she kisses him, and with bold face, she's not ashamed of this. She's not hiding this. She says to him, I have had to offer sacrifices, and today I've paid my vows, so now I've come out to meet you. To seek you eagerly. 
and I have found you. The deception there, she's even referencing the, the, the cultic practices of, of the Jewish temple there. Look, I've been to the temple, I've paid my sacrifices and my vows, and look, now here I am. I've come to see you, to meet you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not home. No one will know. My husband's gone. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. The trap is set, the lure is cast, and this young man walks right into it because he's not on guard. He's not keeping himself far from the traps of temptation. No, what is he doing? He's going near her corner with much seductive speech. Verse 21, she persuades him. With smooth talk, she compels him. And then look at verse 22. What does it say? All at once, he follows her. See, we, we venture near, we flirt with sexual temptation, and before we know it, we're further down the road than we ever thought we would be. And we're sitting there going, man, I never thought I would do this. I never thought I would be here. I never thought I would have this problem. I never thought I would have gone this far or done this thing. All at once, he follows her. As an ox to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, verse 24, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her, her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Look, some of you out here may be a little bit discouraged tonight by this. And if you're a Christian, you're discouraged because maybe you've fallen prey to sexual sin. And you're hearing me preach on this and you're going, okay, is it too late for me? What do I, what do, I do? I've ventured near the corner. I, I, I've been the person who's caught fast. What, what do I do? I want to encourage you that there's hope, that there is forgiveness in Christ, that the first step in the equation of any sin is what it, we confess our sin and we repent from our sin. And if you are in Christ, Romans 6 tells us that there is no sin that has a power over you such that you cannot turn away from it. And I don't mean to make it so simple as that you just go, gotta go, okay, well, I just I'm gonna try harder not to do this. No, there are resources, including the brothers and sisters in this room, the brothers and sisters in your small group, pastors that are here, there maybe even counseling that needs to take place. There are resources to help you in this battle, in this fight. There are accountability resources that can be put into place as well. I just wanna tell you there's hope. Don't sit there and go, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm too far gone. You're not. If you are in Christ, you are not too far gone. I also want to speak to you if you're here tonight and you're going, well, I'm not a Christian and I've already given myself away sexually so many times I can't even count and this sin does own me. And so I guess I'm gone. You're not gone. You're not gone. God loved you so much that he sent Christ to die for those sins. He sent him to die for those sins so that you can be forgiven so that if you will trust that Jesus died for those sins, your payment is paid in full. You can be forgiven and you can enter into the reality that I was just talking about a moment ago where you are set free from sin and you can walk in the newness of life and we are here to help you with that whole process beginning with rejoicing over the fact that tonight you can come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you will do it tonight, let me encourage you, plead you, beg with you, do it tonight. Nobody is too far gone here.
I, I do want to speak to some of you believers because I, I, I doubt very many of you are, are walking next to the prostitute's house on your way home. And if you know which her house is, maybe we need to send some of our women faith leaders over there to sh- share the gospel with her. But you all have corners, okay? He ventured near the corner of this wily woman. You all have corners. And you need to know what those corners are. For some of you, it may be a relationship that you are in currently where sexual temptation has led to you crossing physical boundaries with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. That is a corner and you need to keep far from it. And you're going to talk about this in small group more, but let me just give you my pastoral counsel to you would be that that relationship should end forever, perhaps, but your standing before Christ is too valuable to continue to walk near that corner. If you are engaged and you have had sex with your fiance and you are having sex with your fiance and you think, well, it's no big deal because we're engaged, we're going to get married. Let me tell you, it is a very big deal. And the, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, as I spoke earlier, and you are, you are sinning boldly in the face of God and throwing a fist in his design for sex within the confines of marriage. And I'm not saying that you're not going to get married to that person, but you need to come sit down with me or with one of our other pastors. We need to talk about that. That may be a corner for some of you. For some of you in the room, your corner is the internet. It's pornography. And you venture near that corner all the time. And you can think of all the ways and the the paths and the, the, the venues and the times of day. You know when that corner pops up. Listen, you need to keep far from that corner. And I understand that that particular sin may require help. Again, whether that's through counseling or through your leader stepping in or through other accountability resources, but they're there and we want to help you with that because that is a corner that can hold you fast. For others of you, it may be your phone and social media and the immorality that exists all over those devices and that's your corner and you can't open up Instagram or TikTok without falling prey to the the calls of the wily woman. Maybe it's time to delete the the TikTok account, delete the Instagram account, delete the Facebook, delete the Twitter account, get them all off your phone and lock down your phone. Don't go near the corner. Maybe for some of you, men in the room, and ladies, I guess, with the, the, the Adonis lifeguards at the beach, maybe it's the beach. I alluded to it earlier. The, I, we live in Southern California. Y'all, I hate going to the beach. Can I tell you that? because the swimwear there is absurdly revealing. It's horrible for men. And ladies, some of you have no clue that that is a problem. And some of you guys know it's a problem, and yet, yet you go anywhere ways, and it's a, it's a buffet for you. And ladies, let me just tell you, when you go dressed immodestly, and I don't mean to lay this all at your feet because the guys have ownership in this too, but you are giving guys access to mental images of you that they get to go do whatever they want with. So men, if, if that's a, a corner for you, don't go to the beach. Oh, but I love the beach in Southern California. I don't care. Your relationship with the Lord is more valuable than continuing to go by her corner. Matthew 5, can I remind us of that? Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, 
just keep it closed next time. Is that what he said? No, he said, gouge it out and throw it away from you. If your right hand causes you to sin, use your left hand. No, that's not what he said. He said, cut off your right hand and throw it away from you. Why? Because he says this. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And like I started with, sexual sin is a deadly threat to anyone in their pursuit of their relationship with the Lord. It is, and we need to be serious about it. We need to be fighting it. And y'all, there is hope because there is freedom in Christ. Right after, I read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 earlier where it says, the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. 6.11 is awesome because here's what Paul says. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And one of the ways, one of the most common ways that God washes us and cleans us is what? Through the washing of the water, as Paul writes in Ephesians 5, with the, with the Word, with the Word of God. The Word of God purges us and makes us clean. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the word. I want to close with this thought, y'all. If, if, if you've been battling this particular sin, one of the most effective ways to experience freedom and victory here is to increase your love for Christ. Because until you love Jesus more than that sin, you won't choose Christ, you're going to choose that sin. You say, well, okay, how do I do that? How do I love Jesus more? It starts with time in the Word. Like I said, not just to check a box, but to spend the time in the Word. I've been convicted by this recently because I've been doing my daily Bible reading in the morning, but I know there's other times that I've got some free time and my first inclination is not to pick up the Bible. And y'all, I wish it was, and I, I want to change that about me. I've got, some, I'm, I've got free time on my hands. Do I want to watch that Rangers game or, do, or do I, should I pick up the Bible? The Bible's way more valuable than watching the Rangers games, guys. I should pick up the word of God more because it's, it's showing me the heart of God for me. It's showing me the love that Jesus has for me, and it's going to in turn create in me, because the Spirit dwells within me, a greater love for Jesus. And so I don't want to turn this into a, how do I get free from sexual sin? Well, read your Bible more. That's a start, though. And man, it's a good start. It's a good start. It is the sword of the Spirit. And it will stir your affections for Jesus more and more and more the more you give yourself to it. Let's pray and go to the Lord. Father, we are grateful for, for passages like this, though they're hard. Again, God, I'm thankful that you have not left us in this world that is so often difficult to, to navigate through without, number one, even just acknowledging that there is the deceitful temptation that exists out there. And then you've not only acknowledged it, but you've given us a resource in the scriptures to battle against the deceitfulness of temptation that's out there. And I pray for every student in this room, God, that they would see the word of God 
as, as precious, as good as that light and that lamp for our feet, that it's not a backpack full of bricks, it's not a burden for us, but it's something that we can depend upon and say, I need this to, to, to survive today, to make it through my day. You, the God of all creation, have made yourself known. You've stooped to make yourself known to us in a way that we can understand, in words that we can read on a page and understand. You've made known your will for us. In passages, even like 1 Thessalonians 4, your will is my sanctification, that we would abstain from sexual immorality. You've not left us without parameters. You've not left us without guidance. And as we opened, God, I'm grateful that you have given us the gift of sex to be enjoyed in the confines and the parameters of marriage as a, a good thing. And there are future marriages in this room, maybe not to one another, but, but eventually to, uh, to someone out there. And God, it's going to be a good thing for them too. And I pray that they would anticipate that and fight for that joy that they will have with their husband or with their wife and not exchange it for the cheap imitations that are all over the place today. It's interesting, Lord, in a book all about living wisely like Proverbs that you spend so much time warning us against sexual immorality. It can derail us from our pursuit of Jesus so quickly. And I just pray that we would be on guard, that we would do battle as we need to do battle, and that you'd be pleased with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.